everybody. This is Dr. Alex Avila with Love University, and we're back. I'm an author, psychologist, and speaker. Every week, we talk about how to love ourselves, others, and higher nature, how to improve our finances, career, relationships, spirituality, and health. And now, in springtime, love is in the air. We have a very special guest today that's going to talk about love, relationships, and marriage, and success in those areas. His name is Kyle Benson. He's an international, intentional, intimate relationship coach. He's worked with uh, the Gottman Institute as a writer and blogger. He has a master's degree in couples and family therapy. Over 200,000 people have read his relationship articles every year. His work has been featured in U.S. News and Business Insider. He describes himself as a relationship nerd who provides practical research-based tools to build long-lasting intimate relationships, and he's married. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thank you for having me. And Al, you have a very interesting story. You said that you were basically having trouble with relationships yourself, and I think mm-hmm. you said you were cheated on in three separate relationships, and your self-esteem went down. You got an autoimmune disorder, and you had psoriasis all over your body. You lost a lot of weight, and you were in mm-hmm. a bad shape, and then you turned it around by studying uh, relationship books like Gottman's work. Tell us about what happened with you and your personal journey. Yeah, so I um, kind of just went through these kind of back-to-back relationships where I had partners who we were in a committed relationship, but then there was either there was cheating and kind of some and and just stuff that that I felt really insecure about, and I still stayed in those relationships, tried really hard to make it work, and kind of particularly in that last relationship, the harder I tried to make it work, even though we had broken up or saw like friends with benefits, it was just messy. My body started, kind of my insecurity started to really get into my nervous system and, and I was hyperactive in that way. And so when you think of kind of an autoimmune disease, right, it's your body kind of attacking itself. It's, yes. it's, it's There's a sense of threat everywhere. And so it was fascinating. All of a sudden my body got covered head to toe. Like I literally had 312 spots of psoriasis. I lost a bunch of weight, could barely walk half a mile without wanting to pass out. My body just shut down. And I remember kind of sitting in a chair and going, how on earth did I get here? What, what happened here? And for some reason I was like, my relationships, they, they sucked. Like it just haven't been working. And so I picked up a book called Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. And then What Makes Love Last by Dr. John Gottman. Yes. And I just started journaling and writing about it. I started therapy myself and just kind of went into the rabbit hole and have been diving deeper ever since. Interesting. Very fascinating. So from a personal pain into power, mm-hmm. and we talk about that a lot in Love University, is that transformation. Now, you yeah. call yourself, uh, Kyle, an intentional, intimate coach. So we use the word intentional. So I'm thinking of someone that puts effort into something, awareness, and the idea of working on your relationship, because, you know, people work on their bodies, right? They work hopefully three to four times a week or they work at their jobs 40 hours a week, but they don't really spend that much time, many people, on their relationships, you know, communication, empathy, and things like that. And the idea that a lot of people are, especially males, uh, are not as open to, say, marital therapy. And people think that marital therapy doesn't work. So tell me about about that. Why should people work on their relationships? And what do you do with, say, males that don't want to get into the therapy where the woman does? Hmm. So I think in terms of just working on the relationship, I mean, it's it's important. Everything you kind of put effort into, you get that effort out. I think often, though, where partners want to make the relationship better, when there's a lot of negativity, when things feel like I can't ever do it right, which is sometimes more that male partner role. I can never make you happy. I can never do anything. It's almost like you get in this place of what's the point of doing therapy? All they're going to do is tell me how I'm messed up, how I'm yes. broken, right. right? My masculinity needs to be questioned, da, 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 right? Yes. Or I'm going to have to talk about emotions and emotions make me really uncomfortable. Yes. And so that's a pretty common thing. I think in terms of just being intentional, right? If we're not putting effort towards something, it's going to kind of decline, right? And that's even what John Gottman uh, has found in his research. If a couple is not making an intentional effort 
to work on the relationship, to go on dates, to talk about what's changing in their partner's inner life, right? Their emotions, their feelings, their stresses, their worries. They're not connecting over difficult events. The relationship's going to decline. Right. And so that's why I think intentional is really important there in terms of going to therapy uh, for that, that male partner. Right. It's really exploring kind of what's the resistance there. Right. right? And sometimes it's, well, the therapist is going to team up with you and I'm going to feel even worse than how I feel now. Right. Exactly. Right. And so there's a lot of kind of ways that also that's kind of a way to protect oneself from being vulnerable from going right. to explore that right uh, and i actually write about that there's a blog article i wrote for the Gottman institute that talks about how to invite your partner to therapy mm, interesting um, and so that might be something you want to link in the show notes too. yeah that sounds good you have a kind of a cool phrase you, you say the state of the marital union or the state of the union where mm-hmm. a couple check in with each other what's what's going good with the relationship how do we improve it have a win-win situation mm-hmm. so yeah i think that's a very good way to look at it and again the idea of getting Let's say the you know, the males involved as well. Now we've had John Gray on the show. You're familiar with, and he's what we call a feeling male. Some males are really interested in relationships and psychology and a lot. Now you are a thinker or a feeler on the Myers Briggs. Would you say, Kyle? I would say I'm definitely probably more of the feeler You're in feeling. that. Oh, I would definitely like, particularly in the attachment sense, I would be yes. more anxious uh, versus uh, much more logical, which could be much more avoidant. Okay, anxious meaning you want to cling a little more to the partner, like be closer to them. Right. And, and that's part of why I would stay in relationships, even when I was being cheated on and lied to. And, right. Because there was a sense of I can't. You know, yes. this is the best I can get. Yes. I'm the problem here. Why am I not good enough? Exactly. Yeah, we're going to get into that. I like the whole attachment uh, stuff you work with. It's very interesting. And mm-hmm. how we pick partners that kind of help us work through our, our previous relationships with our parents, for example. Now, mm-hmm. one of the things that you talk about, I think Gottman talks about, is the master, I think you call it master versus disaster relationships or couples. Mm-hmm. And you talk about some of the things with Gottman, like the love maps, knowing your partner thoroughly, you know, their likes and dislikes. And I, I call love a deep understanding of another, kind of an embracing of the other person uh, at a, depth, a deep level. And also the idea of fondness and admiration. Uh, what we call words of affirmation. You know, I really like the way you are a parent or a good lover and things that I really enjoy about you or I'm grateful for. And, you, know, you know, gratitude, of course, positive psychology is a very positive tool to help improve mood and, and reduce depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning toward, I think is another phrase, where you uh, you'll say, look out the window, you see a beautiful bird. Oh, look at that beautiful bird. So the, mm-hmm. your partner can either say, yeah, that's nice, or they can turn away and ignore you, or they can even go against you and say, well, leave me alone. I'm, I'm on the internet right now, so don't bug me. And that's, mm-hmm. a, I guess, a disaster kind of thing. And then finally, mm-hmm. you talk about giving them the benefit of the doubt. So mm-hmm. maybe they come home from work very tired, uh, but they don't do the chores. And you say, you're lazy. Or you can say, hey, you look like you're tired. Maybe you had a hard day at work, which is empathy. Tell us about mm-hmm. those four elements. And I think you call those levels of a great relationship. Yeah. So those are the levels that over four decades, John Gottman did research on what makes a relationship work and what, yes. what caused it to fail. Then he met his wife, Julie Gottman, who was a clinical mm-hmm. uh, res- or clinician and was like, you have all this valuable stuff. Let's yes. do something with it. John yes. said, no, I just want to do research. Julie mm-hmm. said, we could save relationships. Let's do it. And so she influenced him to do that. And the yes. structure they found in observing all his research was what is called the sound relationship house. What you're really talking about is that first, those first four levels and those first three levels, the love maps, the fondness and admiration and the turning towards versus away are what we call the 
friendship system. Mm. And what that means is that's how well you two bond, how well you feel you are there for each other, and how emotionally connected are you as a couple. Mm. And so what we found in research is the masters, couples who stay stable and have healthy relationships over time, is they're always asking open-ended questions, they're always learning more about their partner, that's the love maps. They're also kind of expressing what they appreciate, what they admire, what they cherish about their partner. Just like you said, the words of affirmation, and sometimes that's non-verbally too, right? Acts of affection. But then there's also kind of the turning towards in a way. And one of the things that we found is that the masters turn towards each other 86% of the time. So they're turning towards the majority, whereas disasters turn towards 33% of the time. And so sometimes those are tiny moments, such as being in a grocery store, your partner says, are we out of milk? And you can turn towards and say, I don't know, let me go grab that milk. Or you can say, I don't know, why didn't you check? You're the one responsible for that. That's a turning against. And what we found is depending on how well those three areas are going, how strong or difficult those areas are, that influences how we see the relationship, the marriage, or how and how we see our partner. And so that positive perspective you're kind of talking about where we give our partner the benefit of the doubt is kind of like a light switch in the brain. When we have a strong friendship, we're able to manage conflict well. We are in a state where we can handle negativity a little bit more. We'll see that it has something more to do with our partner. We won't take it as personally and we'll actually turn towards them and help them with that. If those are not going well, we feel alone, we feel distant, disconnected. We have this negative perspective. It's kind of like the light switch flips off and we're kind of in the dark. And that's really where we escalate even more and we cause more conflict. We distance even more. Yes, that's very powerful stuff. I think you talk about the love bank. Mm-hmm. where you put in positivity and it builds up. So, you know, even if there is some negativity later on, it, it kind of overcompensates for that. Exactly. And uh, I always wondered the idea of marital therapy couples. Like, is your wife a therapist by any chance? She is not. Okay. Because no. we've had uh, uh, couples on here who actually are therapists, both mm-hmm. of them. And mm-hmm. one of them is very famous, the Harville Hendricks. You heard of Harville Hendricks who did Getting the Love You Want mm-hmm. and uh, Helen Hunt. And they said they were actually on the verge of divorce until they discovered something called the No Negativity Pact, where they agreed for a period of time not to have any negativity. It could be a mm-hmm. day or a week, whatever it is. And that actually helps save their marriage. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the conflict is an important uh, factor. And I think you talk a lot about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Gamma was saying that, you know, even healthy couples have conflict. They can Absolutely. have arguments and they fight, but they know how to defuse the, the fights. Uh, they call mm-hmm. it repair attempts where there may be a little bit of humor or, or you touch the person in a certain way that kind of diffuses the, the conflict. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that idea. So if you're in a conflict situation, uh, should you first of all do a timeout? You've heard the idea of taking off a little bit of time, you know, or, or go to the gym or they go shopping. Is that healthy or unhealthy? No, that can be really healthy depending on how it's done, right? And so there is a part in our brains when, or in our bodies really, when we reach a certain emotional state, we get what is called emotionally flooded. And we actually lose access to our neocortex, which is a part of our brain that can have a sense of humor, can problem solve and have uh, a perspective of another person. And so when we kind of lose our ability to have that because we're emotionally flooded and we go in the fight or flight state, no matter what our partner says or do, we're not going to get anywhere. So when that happens, what I work with my couples on is we take at least a 30 minute break where they have a timeout signal and they agree on what that signal means, which means I love you. I care about you. We're taking this time out because we're about to enter in the danger zone. And then they go and do some exercises and stuff that helps regulate their nervous system so that they come back. And what Gottman found in his research is when they had couples take a a 20-minute break and just read the newspaper, when they came back in the lab for the conversation, it was like they had a brain transplant. It was a totally different conversation. So they're more relaxed, blood pressure goes down, stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. they're able to re-engage. 
Uh, then they're then, able to hear their partner. Yes. But then if you just take off and say, I'm leaving and, sh and slam the door, that's mm -hmm. not a good idea, right? Because the other person wonders, you know, what's going on? Where, where are they going? Right. And it's in a sense, it's a sense I'm overwhelmed and I'm out of here, which then leaves the partner who doesn't know anything about why or what you're doing. They all of a sudden feel left. They don't feel cared for. And yes. sometimes they'll either chase after you yes. or they'll shut down and, and be stuck with that hurt. Yes. And so we want to be able to time out in a way that actually is beneficial for the relationship. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, the conflicts are interesting. I'm going to get into that a little later. But the other main concept you talk about a lot, I believe, is uh, attachment. The mm -hmm. emotional bond you had with your parent growing up and how it affects your adult relationships, you know, with Bowlby and other researchers. Uh, also, uh, imago therapy with uh, Hendrix. They talk about the idea that you often pick a partner that uh, is, resembles the most difficult parent that you had. So you can work through those issues with the partner kind of uh, subconsciously. Like if you had a cold dad, you might pick a cold husband because you're trying to resolve that. Mm -hmm. But that can be a problem as well because you're caught up in these repetitive negative patterns. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned that uh, Gottman can predict with 90% accuracy within a few minutes if a couple is going to divorce based on the way they handle conflict and things like that in their conversation. And then the idea of having the, the four horsemen, uh, criticism, uh, which are, you know, negative thing, criticism, contempt, which I guess is, uh, you know, bad words and labeling and also profanity, uh, defensiveness, and also stonewalling or avoidance. So tell us a little bit about those things in terms of uh, dealing with conflict. Why does that occur with couples? Yeah, so that, so uh, a really kind of well-known psychologist who, who passed recently, Dan Weil, uh, he kind of really said that there, for every conflict, for every problem, there's really two problems. There's the actual problem and then how couples deal with the problem. Yes, perceptions. And really, right. And so what Gottman found is in his research of having couples come into the lab for sometimes up to 12, 20 years mm. is how they talked about it made a big difference. Yes. And one of the statistics he was able to find is that 96% of the time when a conversation starts negative, it uh, ends negative. Uh, okay. So if you start the conversation with like, you're so lazy, you never yes. do the laundry. Right. You're a jerk. Right. You're a jerk, <laughs> which is, which is a four horseman, right? Yes. That's a criticism. I'm attacking your character. You're lazy. Yes. Right. And what happens is that partner then gets defensive and says, mm -hmm. what well, did the laundry three weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And we start to get into an escalated fight right, right there. Right. And they'll, and call, so, they'll call you a jerk as well. So they, right. you're trying to fight. Right. So you, so you get in an escalated fight. But what happens is because those four horsemen are present, we're kind of pointing fingers at our partner. We're kind of poking them yes. rather than saying, here's what I'm struggling with. Right. I feel alone in the chores. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm not getting help. I need us to come up with a solution. Right. Yes. The longing part, yes. which is really what Gottman kind of helps couples do is. How do we focus on what's going on for you and express your need and longing for what you want to be different to give your partner a recipe to, to be successful? Yes. And so in that, we're trying to avoid criticism. Right. Right. We're trying to avoid the defensiveness we've talked about. The third thing is contempt. Mm -hmm. That is where we yes. look at our partner from a place of superiority. Mm -hmm. Right. It's almost like, you know, I remember one one uh, partner looked at that the other partner and said, you know, it's like I have four kids in the house. You're just another child here, hmm. right? Kind of looking at the partner from this right. place of superiority. Right. Um, and then the final... Now, I think um, of contempt kind of, is kind of almost a hatred. Is there an inner hatred for a person, like uh, anger that becomes resentment or hate? 
So, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of anger. Right. And that's one of the things is that is one of the strategies to try to get the partner to feel how painful it is. But unfortunately, the strategy contempt and that anger doesn't actually help the partner turn towards and move closer. Mm -hmm. Understand it actually causes them to shut down. And what we've actually found, Gottman calls contempt the sulfuric acid or love of love. Mm. Because when that becomes a habit, a habitual way of communicating the relationship. Yes. It erodes the love in the relationship. You start to distance, you start to disconnect, and the other partner will start to either be contemptuous back or they start to emotionally shut down and disengage completely. Exactly. And of course, you know, we we have high divorce rates in the U.S. You know, 50% of the first marriages, they say 60% of second marriages. And Mm -hmm. 65% of third marriages end in divorce. So a lot of things aren't working. So these are really good strategies, research-based strategies you're you're, uh, talking to people about. So let's talk about some mm-hmm. solutions, uh, Kyle. For example, I think you talk about speak with awareness. So using like I statements, you know, maybe I feel this way. It would be nice mm-hmm. if I had this more as opposed to you did this or you did that. So mm-hmm. that kind of awareness and understanding. Uh, you also mentioned focus on one issue at a time. But notice that women are pretty good at uh, multi, multi-issues. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that. They can bring up five different things and guys are oh, a little overwhelmed. So how do we deal with that part of it? Uh, the multi-issue, multiple issues. Well, there's kind of two factors that happen. One is issues are not being addressed when they come up in the moment. And so yes. someone holds on to it. And what we know also from John's research or Dr. Gottman's research is that when partners don't address negativity early on, they tell themselves that I'll just let this slide for now. Right. It actually makes us more negative in the future. Mm. And what the masters do uh, in relationship is they're able to kind of early on speak about what they're frustrated about or right. what is bothering them. Yes. And they're able to do it in a softer way using those I statements. And the partner is able to listen to it and they repair and make their relationship better. Mm. Whereas the partner who kind of holds that stuff right. feels like if I express this, my partner's just going to react poorly. So I'm not going to say anything. And then they hold it up and it kind of is like a bottle. And then eventually, the more that gets in there, the eventually kind of explodes. And that's where they come to their partner and they kind of list, you know, the laundry list of items that the partner hasn't done. And the partner goes, whoa, I'm hearing 27 things that I've done wrong. Why are you with me? I must be the worst partner in the world. Exactly. But what if they have expressed it in the past, but they bring it up, you know, kind of like the resentment uh, stamp collectors. Like five years ago, you talked to that uh, waitress or you, you know, did this or that. Or you talk to your ex-boyfriend, uh, and then you keep bringing up stuff from the past, uh, and you know, kind of like a way to, I guess, uh, injure the person in some way. So, how do you deal with that part of it? Well, it- so yeah, they're bringing it up because some part of their brain is holding on to that injury mm. in themselves, yeah. right? It's like they haven't been able to get a sense that that is understood, and that 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 their partner has they've been forgiven. Their partner has given them kind of that sense that that's done and and they feel more connected and seen by that. And so they bring it back up, right? And every couple that I work with, I kind of talk about the dirty laundry that gets thrown in the closet that still stinks up the relationship, Ah. right? And so what we have to do is after we get to a place where we're de-escalated, we're able to have much more calmer conversations and talk in a way that we're actually able to hear each other. Then we go into this place where we start to pull up those, those smelly laundry and we start to clean them. Talk, what's this stain about? Yeah. What happened here? Well, here's what happened for me. When you talked right. to that waitress, I felt like you were more interested in that waitress than me, that I was not a good enough partner for you. Right. Okay. Right. And then we're starting to repair. And once that the partner who is holding that memory feels that they that they're repaired with their partner, that memory actually goes away. 
It, they don't bring it back up. I like that. And you have kind of a cool metaphors. You say something like the re- the thunderstorms and you know other things, uh, or having a flat tire in a relationship and then and fixing mm-hmm. it, things like that. Yeah. Uh, and you also mentioned things like having different perspective, uh, accepting different perspectives. Now, mm-hmm. I wrote a book called Love Types. It talks about Myers Briggs and compatibility. And uh, for example, we have the introvert person. Introvert, uh, when they get home, they like to have their quiet time, you know, kind of recharge. The extrovert wants to talk it out. So they may get mad at you as an introvert because you're not uh, able to talk immediately. And then you say, hey, give me a little space, a little time. But if you understand their introvert or the extrovert nature, then you can give them what they need in, in terms of their, their social energy space and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. I like that, that part. Uh, and also you said, ask for what you need, not what you don't want. So mm-hmm. I need for us, I mean, it would be great if we could talk more calmly about finances, for example, instead of saying, you're always angry when we talk about finances. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. How do, how do we reverse that and develop more empathy? Because that's a great, a powerful tool that we often don't have in relationships. Yeah, I think in terms of being able to write again, it's how we bring up the issues, right? Yes. And if you're able to bring it up in a, here's what I want, here's the recipe that, so I, that I think will make us successful. Yes. It makes your partner much more able to kind of team up with you yes. versus, you know, you always get pissed off when we talk about the finances. That's a, that's a turning against. That's kind of pushing you away yes. versus, right. hey, let's talk about this. I want us to talk in this way, right? That's kind of like, come here. Let's, let's, let's be a team here. Yes, yes, and so, again, it's really starting with um, kind of those I statements. I feel this about this. Here's what I'm longing for. Here's what I'm wanting. The other partner, their whole goal as a listener is seeking to understand. One of the things that happens in conflict is partners both seek to be understood, but no one actually gets understood, right? Because they're both arguing yes. for to be understood, but neither of them actually do. And what we do is we slow down. We pick a speaker and a listener. The speaker talks about their experience, only their experience. Right. And the listener just says, okay, what I'm hearing you say is this. Is that right? And, and that partner says, yes, or here's this other piece you're missing. And we get to the place where the speaker feels understood. Yeah. Then we switch roles. And then that the this person who was a listener is now the speaker. And we get to that place where they feel understood, fully understood. Yes. And then we actually problem solve. And one of the big things that I see couples do a lot is they try to problem solve before they understand each other. Exactly. Especially they say males do that. And John Gray talks about that a lot in gender differences. Uh, the man wants to get to the bottom of it immediately, and then the, the woman may want to express her emotions, right, and, and let him listen. So his exercise is uh, the, the a woman talks about her feelings for a while, things she's angry about, but not about him. He listens mm-hmm. carefully, and then they talk about things that are positive, and then they give each other a hug. Then they walk away for a period of time. Uh, it's kind of a way to heal, you know, and get the, the emotions out and to feel understood. And uh, you may have heard of the martial art of Aikido, which is the way of harmony, where you basically join your energies with the person, that, you know, the opponent, uh, and then you lead them once you join them. Uh, mm-hmm. That way you have the harmony first, and then you, you can get into the issues. So it sounds like some of the stuff is, is revolving around that idea, where mm-hmm. you can put yourself in their point of view and walk in their shoes as well. Mm-hmm. But problem solving, though, so why don't we uh, get people away from that immediate desire to problem solve? How do we do that? Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. I mean, the whole, the whole thing about problem solving is we typically want to problem solve because we want to fix it. Right. Yes. It's it's hard to be in conflict with the person we love. Yes. And so we try to and particularly males, we try to fix it. We try to remove the negative feelings or the difficult feelings that our partner is expressing. Mm-hmm. So they don't feel that way. So they can be happy and then we can be happy with yes. ourselves and happy about the relationship. Right. So what we do is we just slow way down and we let the partner kind of focus on. I just need to focus on understanding you. Right. It's like if you're building a house 
and you only have a quarter of the blueprint or half the blueprint, you can't build the house. Yes. Understanding your partner is the rest of that blueprint. Mm. Understanding what is the material that you need to use to make this relationship stronger, to build, is what you need to actually have a problem that's actually going to be so- – to have a solution that's yeah. actually going to work. Right. So that's really kind of how we approach it. Interesting. And the idea that some uh, – I go you know, back to gender issues. Uh, males may feel kind of like they're not making a difference. They feel incompetent because they can't solve the problem. Mm-hmm. And they need to learn how to basically listening is solving the problem to a certain extent. You know, she can express the emotions and you can uh, appreciate and embrace that. And the other thing I find it kind of interesting is you talk about the triggers. You know, we all have certain triggers from our past that uh, make us uh, upset in certain ways. For example, maybe we were criticized for our lack of intelligence or being too fat as a, as a young person. Now, your mate may say something related to your weight or to your intelligence and that triggers it. Mm-hmm. And you have an interesting phrase here. You say that we are, we're responsible for each other's past. Mm-hmm. Some people would say, what do you mean? I mean, how can you be responsible from your par- partner's past? Can you explain that? How does that work? Yeah. So essentially, right, all of us have kind of emotional wounds, what I would consider call, um, uh, what Gottman calls enduring vulnerability is what Sue Johnson calls raw spots. Yes. Right. And these are the things that we are highly sensitive to because there's something really painful in our past that really kind of, kind of injured us. Yes. If we're, if I'm working with a couple and we talk about those painful spots, if the partner is doing things to, to kind of say, that's your problem, you injury, you're going to have to deal with that by yourself. That actually misses a part of healing. And what I do with the couples I work with is actually talk about that enduring vulnerability and get the other partner to really kind of help hold it and see it and see how they say things or what they do, how that triggers the partner. So then they can work to say things a little bit differently, but also offer some healing to that part, yes. you know, to be able to speak into that part of like, Oh, like that, that six year, that sixth grader that you got bullied in, mm. like that's not, that's not the man I see today. Yes. Yes. Right. They, so that's really kind of what we do or what I do. I see. Now going back to the, um, the attachment theory, now, you mentioned that there are different types of attachment. For example, there's uh, the healthy attachment, which is secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked about the manipulative or anxious clinging attachment. You know, they didn't get enough love and they, you know, they, they cling to their partners. And then you have the uh, leave me alone or avoidant attachment, where maybe the parent uh, ignored the kid. You know, maybe they abandoned the kid and the, the child wanted to get closer, but then they gave that up. And now they say, yeah, I just want to be independent. I don't want to get too close to people because I can get hurt. Mm-hmm. Now, you may find this in relationships that we have the avoidant gets together with the uh, clingy person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, with the other, yeah. So what do we do in that case? So one person needs too much and they pick each other unconsciously that way. What's your advice to couples like that? I mean, really we start to kind of understand um, what their insecurities are and we start to get them to talk about it. Right. Yes. And their fears often yes. with an avoidant, they will fight for their independence yes. and the anxious will fight for togetherness. But the problem is, is, they're kind of um, fighting for needs the other partner doesn't want to see within themselves. An anxious person also needs some independent time, but they give that to that avoidant partner. The avoidant partner also needs some connection time, but they make the anxious partner more responsible for that. So they are kind of 
coming to each other, just as you said, to try to heal those parts to become yes. whole people again. Yes. But but how they often do that is they just re-trigger that same thing and they get in really negative kind of cycles. And so really slowing down, understanding kind of their patterns that they get caught into, understanding how it touches those triggers, yes. how it causes them to tell themselves, I'm not good enough, how it tells themselves, I'm not worth you, like I'm not worth it for you, I'm not a priority. Right. When we're able to actually slow down and express those more painful, fearful things, yeah. it actually starts to repair the relationship. Um, and when we talk about what each partner needs, we're able to find some compromises that can work for both partners. We talk about the core needs, but yeah. then we talk, talk about kind of where we can be flexible to make it work for both of us. And when we're able to do that effectively, then it starts to build a much more kind of secure relationship where partners can really engage and kind of solve things in a much more connected way, find the win-win solutions. I like that. That's very good. And the other thing uh, I like uh, with your metaphors, Kyle, is you talk about the emotional thermostat. Mm-hmm. Now, the idea that you don't want to get too hot, which is, I guess is a lot of conflict, or too cold, which is uh, kind of an avoidance and what we call the empty marriages where people are no longer passionate. You know, they, they like the intimacy and the passion. They're just there for the kids or just for the institution of marriage or for other reasons. So you want to have a balance. Now, I know some, my thermostat, sometimes I let it go too high or too low in terms of the, the house temperature. But this is, it seems to be a very interesting idea and mm-hmm. to keep it kind of balanced. So tell us about that. How do we keep that emotional balance? And tell us more about that metaphor. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to Dr. Gottman's research findings that the masters, when there's any sense of negativity or distance or coldness, they address it. <clears throat> they don't ignore it, yeah. right? And so they take those as cues of checking in with their partner. Yes. Hey, I noticed you're a little bit um, more distant today. What's going on? Are you upset about something? Did I do something? Something going on at work? And so if we're able to notice when things get too hot or when things get too cold, we can then turn towards each other and start to change the temperature to make it more comfortable for both of us. If it gets too hot, that's where we see a lot more criticism, defensiveness. Too cold, we see a lot more kind of stonewalling and isolating. Um, And so the goal really is how do we make our relationship, our marriage, a space where we're able to talk about what's difficult for us in a way that we can both be engaged and kind of work through it? And if we are able to do that, we're able to regulate the temperature a lot more, which also makes it a lot easier for us to be playful, more engaged, and more connected, too. That makes sense. So you might ask a question like, uh, what, is, what does it feel like when we're warm with each other? You know, what is that emotion like? What are the activities we do? Or when it's cold? So you want mm-hmm. to kind of talk to your partner about that. And one of our guests actually talks about the sacred bath, where couples can get it and take a nice bath with music, incense, you know, kind of almost as a spiritual reawakening uh, of, the, of the couple's energies. And that's mm-hmm. uh, something that can bring them closer together. So that's kind of a warm experience, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe activities they share together, you know, bicycling, you know, whatever they like to do together. So that's pretty mm-hmm. powerful. Now, one thing I noticed, Kyle, you work a lot mainly with couples, I would think. Is that mainly couples or do you do work? That's your main thing you do? Yeah, I'd say 95% I work with couples. Okay. Because I noticed there was a little blog there that kind of applied to uh, the case of my producer, Reggie, here. It talks about a single guy and what he needs to do. So I'd like to bring him in here if you, if you don't mind and maybe you can give him a little advice. Uh, sure. To Reggie. Reggie, meet Reggie, my producer. Reggie's a nice guy. I never really had a romantic or sexual relationship. He's very shy. He's kind of the so-called nerdy types that you talk about. And in your blog, you mentioned the idea that they need to find a dating niche. These kind of gentlemen, you don't just take them to a bar. 
because if they meet a woman, they could have friction with her because they have nothing in common. Mm -hmm. But Reggie's had an issue with that because he, he's in the friend zone many times. So he basically meets a woman. He's her best friend. They might have a boyfriend. He tries to hopefully win them over. So what's been going on, Reggie, with that? Well, I've been dating recently, so they've been successful, and there's been progress in that regard. It's just escalating to like a meaningful relationship, boyfriend and girlfriend. So, right. Yeah. So they're more friends. So, what's your advice to Reggie in this case? Uh, has some guys, any? And smart. But, uh, what's, so, what's, what's, what's so, like? so, so, yeah, Reggie, what's going on? You're saying it's not progressing to a relationship? Right. Yeah. Like this last one, I went on. We went on a couple dates. We went on three dates, actually, you know, and, you know, the three, the third day is the big one, quote unquote, or whatever. And so, um, and she uh, declined to take it to the next level. So, yeah. So, no no affection, no, I mean, uh, holding hands maybe, but no kissing or romance. Right, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's in the friend zone. So, he's like their best friend, but he doesn't get beyond that, Kyle. Mm -hmm. What's your mm -hmm. advice to Reggie? I mean, I think really starting to understand kind of why that is, right? I mean, we would have to do a whole kind of session to really understand more detail about what was going on around that. But I think in terms of that, really starting to understand what's going on for you. How are you showing up on those dates? What's going on for you emotionally? Are you feeling really anxious and really insecure about whether the person's going to continue to show up? And also kind of how are you two engaging each other? Right. And so there's I mean, there's a lot of dynamics there that I don't think I can answer in five minutes. Well, how about Kyle, the, the dating niche, because you said join activities where he would shine to say where he was good at. Well, what kind so of that, that, that's the other thing in terms of how you're dating. Are you doing activities that, that really show strong traits for yourself? Are you doing things that are things you are passionate about, that you're engaged with, that you're excited about, that the other person can see, that they can see those parts of you? Right, because he likes Comic-Con and all that kind of science right, stuff. Right, yeah. Are yeah. you doing any kind of those activities, uh, Reggie? Well, it's kind of hard because everything's barely reopening. Well, yeah, but yeah, true. but um, it's been tough the past year because everything's been closed. But um. Well, like, I mean, I like doing karaoke and stuff, you know. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay, so Kyle, should we take him to a karaoke bar and have him sing a duet with a nice gal? What should be mm -hmm. the... Is it well, the yeah, I think go to a karaoke bar. And this is, again, right, <laughs> finding places where you can spend time with people who have shared interests with you. You then use that shared interest to build a connection and see kind of if it can turn romantic, too. Bridget, do you have a little song? Can you sing something to us right now? Um, yeah, actually, I do. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Sing, sing, sing something. Okay, uh, I get knocked down. I get up again. They ain't gonna, never going to keep me down. I get knocked down. I get up again. They're never going to keep me down. Okay. I like that. He's also uh, humorous too, right? That's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you can do more of that, Reggie, I think you'll do well. Okay, right? thank right. you. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, for, uh, Kyle, for uh, helping thank out. You, Kyle. Okay, very good. This is very fascinating, Kyle. So you're taking a lot of the research-based uh, Gottman work. You're applying it in a very kind of understandable way. You know, you usually got a lot of great metaphors and putting it to so people can really apply it. Mm -hmm. So really, like, I mean, that's the whole goal is to yes. really take kind of all the research and make it into a practical, easy to use way for, for the rest of us to implement. Right. You mentioned you're a nerd. Is that a, true? You're a relationship nerd? Are you a, a brainy kind of guy that likes to read a lot and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. I love re reading research journal articles and okay. understanding the research and looking at all that stuff. So that's also why I work in the research lab where... Yes. We do a lot of research. That's fantastic. Well, Kyle, it's been wonderful having you on the show today. I think you've gained a lot of uh, valuable information for our, our uh, listeners. Uh, where can people hear more about your work? Uh, do you have a website, coaching, any products that people would be interested in? Yeah, so my website is kylebenson.net. I currently am not accepting any new clients. I have a pretty long wait list. Okay. But I do have a course called the 7-Day Emotional Connection Challenge. Yes. It's a, a kind of really playful way to start to rebuild emotional connection. And yeah. I think like 700 couples have already gone through it. So that's one of the options. Stuff that I find really valuable that is pretty brand new for the Gottman Institute. There's a new thing called the Gottman Relationship Coach. Yes. Um, that is some of John and Julie's best work. 
work and I would highly recommend looking into that in terms of building on some of the stuff we talked about today. Yes, definitely. Well, Cal, again, it's been wonderful having you. And, you know, we're in the springtime when people are coming out more. The Hopefully the, the virus is now going down and people mm-hmm. are looking for that love, that special connection. If you want to mm-hmm. learn more about today's show and connect with Kyle, you can call us at 310-226-8090. Visit us at loveuniversity.love. Write us at loveuniversitylove at gmail.com. So again, Kyle, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Any final words you want to leave our listeners in terms of love? Let's say they're struggling. We have couples that are struggling now. Maybe even they're thinking of divorce. Because of the virus, they've been staying home more and they're getting into more fights, perhaps, you know, more conflicts as a result of that. So what's your final advice to, to these couples? I mean, I think if you feel like you can't handle it yourself, try to find a couples therapist, right? I mean, they can come in and help you understand a lot of things and slow things way down. Often what happens is when conflict goes on, things happen so quick, we get triggered, we all of a sudden start attacking one another and we have a big fight and then there's no resolution. And so again, being able to slow down, being much more intentional and proactive in terms of addressing the issues is going to become, make it a lot easier for the relationship to stay stable and strong. Fantastic. Well, Kyle, it's been a pleasure. Love University students. Until next time, this is Dr. Alex Avila. Put away your notebooks, your iPads, your books, and we'll see you next time for Love is in the Air, Dr. Avila. That was a very interesting and content-rich interview we had with Kyle Benson, relationship expert working with the Gottman Institute the premier institute in the world for marriages and relationships. And Kyle's a very fascinating guy. I mean, he's got a lot to offer. And a lot of those techniques can, really can work. You know, being more empathetic with your spouse, communicating or your relationship, communicating better, putting yourself in their shoes and feeling as they feel, slowing down the relationship and focusing on positivity instead of negativity. They say that you should have four to five positive comments for every one negative comment that you have. And most people do the opposite. They have five negatives to one positive. So if you develop more positivity, more loving energy without expectation, and more empathy and compassion, your relationships will transform. Your marriages, your long-term relationships will become beautiful, loving, and long-lasting. So if you want to listen to more of what we have to offer, we have a lot of interesting things at Love University. We're really a great community of like-minded people that want to take care of each other, love, and prosper. You can visit us at loveuniversity.love. You can like us on Facebook at Love University Podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Love Letter U Podcast. You can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Call us at 310-226-8090. So again, we're in the spring. Love is in the airtime. Go out and express love to those you're with. Maybe meet a new person. Be complimentary. Say nice things in a positive way. And extend that lovely energy. Until next time, put away your notebooks, your iPads, your books. It's spring break coming up. Psychologically, at least for those of you, if you're not in school. Until next time, Dr. Avila. 